Would you please stand for the reading of God's holy word? Our text this morning comes from Lamentations chapter 3, 21 through 25. Throughout this holy week, we have been moving through the book of Lamentations each day at noon, studying one section of one of the five chapters. And this morning, we're looking back to Lamentations 3 for the great hope that this poet offers us as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit to write these words. 321. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I'd like for you to pass the friendship pad back and forth, if you would. And children, I want you to raise your hands so we can give you a zest quest. And children, I also want you to look at me as they're being passed to you, because I want to ask you a question. And children, I want you to answer loud, all of the children. Do you like to get new things? That doesn't sound like it to me. Try again. Do you like to get new things? How many of you are wearing new clothes today? Raise your hands. Do you like them? Some of you do. Some of you don't. Some of them are itchy. Some of the shoes have already caused blisters. How many of you have said to your mom and dad or a grandparent, I want this. It was something new. And they told you, you don't need it. You've heard that. Probably, maybe not even as often as you should, but it's true. And you know, that's true not only of you little ones, but for all of the grown-ups here too. We all like new things. All of us. There are many new dresses, maybe a few new hats, new shoes, new haircuts. There's a lot of new here this morning, isn't there? New is important because we were made for it. I don't want you to miss that. We were created to desire new things. Not the kind of things that maybe you're thinking of, but God made us. He created us for the new. Imagine the beginning of creation. Each day was new, and there's Adam, not yet with Eve. And he is exploring the earth, this brand new earth that God has made. And he is seeing everything for the first time. The Lord is going to bring animals to him, all of them. And he is going to let this man name them. Imagine what they looked like and what he saw. Really, really amazing. Robbie? Zesquest, Robbie? Front row, I see it over here on the right. There's a few hands waving, and I want them to have one, so let's not miss them. 
Now everybody else back up here. What did it look like for Adam when God made Eve? What did it feel like to her to see this man, this new man, this new woman on this new earth? And everything was perfect. Sin had not yet entered the world. They were enjoying the experience of of a new day, every day, with no strain, no anxiety, no shame, no wrong motive. I wonder why the temptation was so great when Satan said to them, eat this and you'll be like God, like the great creator. Imagine, God has made you and I for the new. Even now as we come to this place of worship, there's probably not one man, woman, or child that doesn't have their eye on something new right now. Something that you desire. It could be a new house, a new car, a new wardrobe, a new garden. It could be a new job, a new grandchild, a new medicine. But everyone in here has a desire for something new. God made us for the new. But the problem is a tension exists in us between what we really need and what we really want. And that phrase is spoken often from parents to children and spoken to ourselves because new is broken. Like everything else in creation, new was not something that was wrong or dirty. New was the experience of each day exploring and seeing what God had made. It wasn't all there instantly for them to see. It would be a life of discovery. But like everything else after the fall, new is broken. And so what happens is we pursue new for wrong reasons. On one side of it, we think if we have enough new things, the next new thing is ultimately going to satisfy. The great temptation is that even in the pursuit of that which is new, it almost becomes our portion. It almost consumes us. We look things up about it, whether it's a trip to another country or a new putter. We become fixated with things. New is broken. We begin to believe that just one more thing, something bigger, brighter, shinier, will ultimately satisfy, but it doesn't. There's another wicked side of new though, and that is to often feel shame when you desire to have something new. And there that tension exists in us. It is especially true when the thing we're pursuing, the new thing we want is expensive, extravagant, lavish. Inside your soul, there is this sense of Is this right for us or for me to want this? The answer might be no. The answer might be yes. But the tension is there because new is broke. But don't let new get a bad rap. You were made for new. The word of God uses the word new so many times. Speaking new creation, speaking of a new covenant, speaking of a new Adam, which is Christ, 
Speaking of a new command which this new Adam gave to love one another as I have loved you. New is throughout the Bible, moving through page after page, even to the promise of a new city and a new day. And here the poet brings us to this place in the middle of this dark, dark book called Lamentation, a book of tremendous pain and sorrow. And he speaks of something new. And what he speaks of is new mercies. He says this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Let's unpack for a minute. We have to start with the word mercy. It's a word that we're familiar with, but I think we must make sure we understand exactly what it means. Mercy is compassion and forgiveness shown to someone who is guilty and undeserving. In fact, who, who deserves to be punished. And the right of the one to punish is real. But that individual shows mercy and compassion is given. Forgiveness is granted. That is mercy. Another side of mercy is when an individual shows compassionate treatment towards those in distress. God has done both of those things. God the Father sent His Son, and the Son came willingly to this earth in order to show us mercy. He came to die for us because we all deserve to die, because each of us had turned to our own way. Each of us had gone astray, and the Lord the Father laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. That was His mercy. In His mercy, Christ took on the wrath of the Father. He became sin. All of your sin and all of mine, the, the, the righteous wrath was poured out on Him. And Jesus there on that cross on Good Friday died that we might live forever. We each deserve to be the one on the cross. We each deserve to die and not live forever. But Christ came and took that in mercy that we might live. Why? Because God is faithful. That's mercy. To understand the profound beauty of mercy and what it is that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are offering you this day, we have to admit the darkness of sin, the darkness of this world, and the darkness and beauty of what was required in order for it to be redeemed, made new. The poet that wrote Lamentations 3, 21 to 25 wrote many other things. I want you to sit quietly and listen to a few of the verses that come before this, the poet says, but this I call to mind. I want to warn you, this is some of the darkest parts of Scripture. And as I read it, I want you to picture Jesus and what He went through in order to show us mercy. I am the one who has seen the afflictions that come from the rod of the Lord's anger. He has led me into darkness, shutting out all light. He has turned His hand against me 
again and again all day long. He has besieged and surrounded me with anguish and distress. He has buried me in a dark place like those long dead. He has walled me in and I cannot escape. He has bound me in heavy chains. And though I cry and shout, he has shut out my prayers. He has blocked my way with a high stone wall. He has made my road crooked. The, pro, the poet, likely Jeremiah, is speaking about the destruction of Jerusalem. He's speaking about the destruction of, a, of the people of God as they have been taken captive by an in enemy. But here you see the profound foreshadowing of what must happen in order for God's people to be saved. That Christ Jesus had to go through the darkness of the cross and the darkness of the tomb in order for this mercy to be revealed. And he did it for you. He did it for the glory of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is mercy. Those were the first few verses of Lamentations 3. And then the poet comes to this place. It's marked verse 21 in your Bible. And he says, but this I call to mind. Therefore, I have hope. I don't want us to miss that phrase. We know that this is the text that gives us the great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And so quickly we move over these words to the promise that God's steadfast love will endure forever, that His mercies will never come to an end, that His mercies are made new each morning. Great is your faithfulness. But what this poet is doing for us is really important. He stops in the middle of this lament. He stops in the middle of the darkness and he says, but this I call to mind. What he's saying is, I am deliberately acting. I am deliberately moving towards thoughts that are true. Here's what I mean. Already this morning, you have had thousands of thoughts that have come to your mind. Many of them, probably most, one way or another, have been anxious. Anxious about a perfect day. Anxious about what you're doing afterwards. Who's coming over? Where are you going? How will the kids behave? Anxious about what tomorrow, Monday, brings. Anxious about what Tuesday, the day in which taxes will be paid. What does it bring? There is so much anxiety that swells in us. And it comes to our mind. And it's not necessarily invited, but it is there. And what this poet has done is he has expressed all these things through these many chapters that have come to his mind and it's deep and it's dark and it's broken. But then, in hope, and for the sake of hope, he says, but this I call to mind. Brothers and sisters, we need to act this way often. We need to not just listen to ourselves, letting all these things come to our minds, but we need to talk to ourselves. Maybe a better way of saying it is you need to preach to yourself. And what you need to preach is the message of the gospel. If you take nothing else away today, it's simply this. 
God is faithful. He's faithful. He is faithful to show you his unceasing love and his unending mercies. His unending love and his unceasing mercies. He is faithful. Bring this to mind. Call this to mind. When this poet does it, here's what he says about mercies. This is amazing. Children, I want you to really listen. He speaks about something new. It's not a new toy. It's not a new room. It's not a new teacher. It's not a new house. It's not a new vacation. It's new mercies. And here's what he says. These mercies are never ending. And these mercies are always new. Nothing else that you and I will ever pursue in all of life, no matter how good it is, can ever have that description. Nothing else. The mercies of God are never ending. And the mercies of God are always new. Whatever new thing we pursue has a life. It will not last for all eternity. Even if it's something of value that's made very well and it might last a long time, the luster of newness will eventually wear off, won't it? But not God's mercies. God's mercies are never ending. They're always new. I think for many of us, when we come to this wonderful poem, this wonderful portion of Lamentation, we're so quick to describe God's mercies as being present and new each morning, which is true, but we can't forget that they're also never ending. Here's why I think that's important. Sometimes I sense that Christians believe that God has given them enough for the day. That's actually true. But I think what might be going on in their mind is that their life in Christ is somewhat like a, an electric car. I plug it in, I fill it as full as it can get, it's charged, and then I go throughout my day, and I hope there is enough electricity to get me back home. That is not at all what this is about. That's why the poet says two things. He says, first, God's mercies are never ceasing. They never come to an end. So though they're made new each morning, they will never run out. What that means is that when you're going through a day and the morning seems so sweet with the Lord and now suddenly it's later in the afternoon and you wonder what has happened. You ever have days like that? God's mercy is sufficient for you right then because they never end. But tomorrow morning, new mercies are coming. What that tells us about God is that his mercies are sufficient and they're abundant. He is going to give you the mercy you need for any day. And he's going to give you that mercy sufficient for the whole day. And you can look towards that promise, but also know that tomorrow morning new mercies are coming. Nothing else that's new in all of life is like that. His mercies are sufficient and they're abundant. Listen to how Spurgeon described it to his congregation. He said, God's mercy... God's mercy is so great that you may sooner drain the sea of its water or deprive the sun of its light than diminish the great mercy of God. 
What a picture. Imagine standing on a shoreline and imagine standing on a shoreline not necessarily in a good place. I don't mean physically, I mean inside you. Imagine you're there and you have been dealing with sin and guilt and brokenness and shame. And you're at a point where you think there's no way God can show me mercy for this. My friend, His mercy is more vast and full than all the water, not just in the sea that you're looking at, but in every sea. That's His mercy. And it's for you. Peter experienced that on a shoreline, didn't he? After Jesus rose from the dead, when Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Three times he said, I do. Three times he was asked. God's mercies are sufficient and they're abundant. And God's mercies, well, they're what you need. And if you're on your way to Jesus, you don't know him yet, what you will probably discover very soon, and it might be even right now, that they're actually what you want. Believers in Christ Jesus, at some point in their life, came to the realization that they needed his mercy. And as they learned about Jesus, they realized they wanted Christ. It's called irresistible grace. And when that happened, and they professed faith in Jesus, the Word of God tells us that at that moment, they became new. They were made to be new. They became a new creation. Paul says the old was gone, the new has come. And that mo at that moment, they were saved and promised that one day there would be a new day, an eternal day, a day when they would be with Christ forever, where these mercies would no longer be necessary as they are the side of heaven. But for Christians and non-Christians alike, this journey is hard. The brokenness of the world brings great weight. But the difference between those who believe in Christ and those who don't is that Christ has promised these mercies for them. And we believe Him. But just because we believe Him doesn't mean that the laments don't come, that the sin still isn't present that the war isn't going on inside. And so we seek often new things that will never satisfy. The poet here is saying, God must be my portion. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the Magnolia in Waco, Chip and Joanna Gaines. Their business, work, life, Seems charming, attractive, interesting. I don't know much about them. I've never been, but this invaded my home a couple of weeks ago. The Magnolia Journal. I looked at the cover and said, enjoy the season, okay? Delicious pie recipes. I earmarked that page. <laughs> Myths of a simple life. Their life doesn't sound as simple as it once did, I don't think. And then I turned to the very last page, and there I saw an article, or actually a journal entry called Life on the Farm. It's called Chip's Corner, the father, the husband. Listen to what he writes. 4 a.m., 
comes earlier on some days than others. I get that question. Why so early? Really, it's simple. It's easier, calmer, and obviously quieter to work with animals at that hour of the morning. A mama cow locked up while giving birth is just naturally more trusting at 4 a.m. A herd of wayward goats are more obedient at 4 a.m. Chickens and horses, even if they're wild, are more obedient and easier to handle at 4 a.m. And as I read more about his life, I started to want a lot of new things. A new job, a new house, same wife, same kids, but new space. Because I don't wake up at four very often because I'm going to tend to animals or experience the beauty of general revelation with a star-filled Texas sky. I wake up because of a different sort of animals. The kind C.S. Lewis talks about a mere Christianity when he says this. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back and listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in and so on all day. Do you experience that? Frequently, I imagine you do. There is a lot that brings stress to our lives. And what C.S. Lewis is saying is that Christ needs to be your portion. In the Hebrew, when the poet says in verse 24, the Lord is my portion, it is a very difficult phrase to translate into English. But this is what it means. God needs to be my all in all. God needs to consume me. He needs to be everything to me. And if he's not, then we are going to continue to seek new things, new ideas, new religions, new jobs, new relationships, new whatever, as if those things eventually will satisfy and bring us the security that we ultimately want, but they won't. The one thing you were made for is a new relationship with God, for God to be your portion, for him to be the one that rules and reigns in your life, for him to be the one that you wake up and say, God is faithful. His mercy will never end for me, and his mercy is always new. Can you say this morning, God is my portion? The poet, after this deep, profound lament, and knowing more lament is coming, he essentially stops listening to himself, and he preaches to himself. And he says, this, but this, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. 
Great is your faithfulness. And then he says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Is your soul this morning saying, yes, the Lord is my portion? If he is, you are safe in Christ. At some moment, his mercy was revealed to you and you are eternally secure. If you can't make that statement today, I'm glad that you're here. It's possible that the Lord brought you to this place today that you might hear about this new relationship, this one that offers never-ending mercies and mercies made new each day. Simply, brother and sisters around this room, they have come to that recollection at some point in their life. And maybe today is the day for you. If you are at a place where you would like to have that relationship with Christ, all you need to do is simply pray to the Lord. Pray simply this, Father, have mercy. Forgive me of my sins. Jesus Christ, save me. It's a sinner's prayer. You could talk to the person you came with or somebody around you or even me this morning if you'd like. But what happens is when people pray for salvation in the one and only name of Jesus, when they cry out for his mercy, they're saved once and for all. And at that moment, they are made new. They are new creations. The old is gone. The new has come. Great is his faithfulness. Father in heaven, we thank you for the glory of this day. We thank you for the glory of this, this poet's words. We thank you for the hope that he speaks. And if there are any here today, Lord, who don't know you, who would long for you to be their portion, I pray you have mercy on them. Even now, bring them to saving faith. Lord, for those who are in Christ, like me, who often wake up early or find themselves anxious throughout the day, Lord, would you teach us how to preach to ourselves the things that we've heard even today, that we wouldn't just listen, but we would speak, and we would speak the truth by calling these things to mind, and therefore you would give us hope. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the empty tomb. Thank you, Christ, for reigning. In Jesus' name, amen.